You know something? No. What? Y you you read too many comic books. <laughs> He's real abstract. He's different. I'm, I'm cute too. <laughs> no. Is that meaning me? Is that meaning me? What? Glamorous? Yes. You sh definitely shouldn't call me that. Why not? Because I like it. That's it. Someone get this guy a knife. Haha, <laughs> you missed me. You don't even know how to hold a knife. Well, you're holding it in the wrong hand. You're holding it upside down. Almost got you. Not even close. Haha. Haha. Hey, do you guys want to go drive stolen cars right by the edge of the cliff? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. let's do that. Let's do it. Yeah, this, this is not going anywhere. Yeah, let's do it. You really like being called Glamopus? In this episode, we kick off with a quick quiz going through some of the most famous movie soundtracks and then for the main discussion we'll talk about rebel without a cause and then i will introduce the topic of next week's episode stevie wonder's songs in the key of life hello and welcome to the culture quest we are but humble adventurers and today we're drinking our milk straight from the bottle with me as always are peter hello and Bario. call me glamorous <laughs> and I am in none. I've been waiting all week to say that. <laughs> We've been practicing that. <laughs> Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today we're discussing Rebel Without a Cause, a movie from 1955. The oldest movie we've done on this podcast, I think. Maybe the oldest topic we've done, other than Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which I think will hold that title for a while. Yeah, that was back all the way in the 70s. Uh, I think that to surpass that, we'll have to do like the Bible or something. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which... Peter's supposed to surprise us with the next topic at the end of the episode, so maybe. <laughs> Damn you it, know. I did the Quran. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we talk about Rebel Without a Cause, we have another brand new segment, which as of now is nameless. <laughs> So another new segment, and it needs a name. It's basically going to be a segment about quizzes and games and all kinds of stuff. As of now, I'm calling it the Culture Quest Quizzes and Games Corner. Um, I hope we'll do this one often because I love quizzes, I love riddles, I love trivia and games and, and all this kind of stuff. And for today's quiz and game segment, I prepared a movie theme quiz. I'm going to play a few seconds of a famous theme from a movie, and you guys will work together and try to tell me what movie it's from. I think you guys haven't watched most of these movies, I think, but I still think you guys can get it. Like, I haven't seen most of these movies myself, but I found them very familiar when I play them. Uh, I, I think you guys are going to get this. But uh, I may have made this quiz way too hard or way too easy. There's only one way to find out. Try thinking about the type of movie that would go with each of these themes. Like, I'm sure you'll be able to at least come close to the answer by the style of the music, by the, the genre, or like the feel of the, the music. And for the listeners at home, see if you can get more correct answers than my uh, fellow adventurers here. I'll tell you right now, none of these are from movies that we've talked about on the podcast. And like, if you definitely know the answer, tell us that you know the answer, but don't say what it is so the other one We'll have some time to guess. Cool, cool. Let's start with the first one. Uh, on a scale from 1 to 10, this one is a 2, maybe. I think it's going to be one of the easier ones to recognize. Ooh. Ready for this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You think you got it? I, I actually guessed that it will be the first one. Really? Yeah. It's a classic. Yeah, it is. 
and I feel so left out. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I, I've definitely heard that, but I just can't pinpoint where from. I'm like the type of person to like hear a song and someone's like, what's this song? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. I'll like sing all the lyrics <laughs> and like, you know, I'll know when there's like the drum feel and stuff. But like, I just can't like put a, I'm not very good at making the connection to where it's from. Yeah. The image that comes to my mind. Yeah. Is I'm pretty sure it's wrong, but it feels like a golden retriever, like in slow motion, running through a field of grass. I can imagine that. That, that actually makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know, ears flapping and like tongue out and like smiling, like coming to the end or something like that, or about to do like a touchdown or something. <laughs> so um, I don't feel confident putting in like Airbud. So <laughs> Airbud. <laughs> do you want to guess anything or? Should Barrio tell us what it is? Because I, Barrio sounds confident, and I'm obviously hoping he's wrong, but I, yeah, I think he has it. You're hoping I'm wrong? Yeah, I'm trying to trick you. <laughs> so, Pete, this is, it's, it's an adventurous music. Well, like setting right? out on a mission or something. Yeah. And it definitely doesn't sound like, it sounds a classic, not like a new, like, Guardians of the Galaxy. Exactly. I think it's from now, the imagine, 80s. Imagine you're going on a, an adventure, and you have, uh, like, this hat... And a whip. Oh, I have not seen that film. That's why it doesn't ring a bell. Or at least... I haven't seen mm, it either. Okay. But yeah, that does make sense. That does make sense. I don't know the name of the, name I think of the one. I but... think this music played in all of the trilogy. Oh, let's lock it in. Star Wars it is. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Exactly. Right? I, think, I think this one is from Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I also think this music played in all of the three movies, all three of the original movies. I don't know about if there's a fourth one. I'm not exactly sure. This is the Indiana Jones theme by John Williams. Have you guys ever watched any of the Indiana movies, Indiana Jones movies? I remember specifically um, it was on TV and I hadn't watched. Like, this is a long time ago, yet I still felt like I should have watched it by now. So I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. You know, even with all the ads and stuff like that, I was just like, ah, let's just put it on. Mm. And I remember I got maybe like 15 minutes in and then I was just like, I was just so bored and I was like, nah, can't do it. I don't know if this came up, but because John Williams was doing the score, I would have got like a snippet of something. I watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was sick one time and I'm not sure if I fell asleep because I was sick or because I was bored. Maybe one day I'll give it another go. Barry, have you watched any of those? Yeah, I think I, same story as you guys. <laughs> like I kept trying and I kept falling asleep. <laughs> Let's go into the second bit of music. Here you go. No, this definitely feels Yeah, I know that one too. <laughs> you know this one as well? Yeah. Oh, see, I don't know what it's from, but I'm thinking like something like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something. It's, it's around that ballpark, I think. What are you seeing in your mind's eyes when you hear this, Peter? It definitely has a... It doesn't feel like I'm looking out into nature. It feels more like a man-made thing that I'm meant to be looking at. You know, something magical, hmm. but something man-made. That's why that's, that's why I went with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You got, you got good ear. Barry, do you want to tell us what it is? Aliens and small boy, Peter. Aliens and small boy. Yeah. All I can think about is that little kid from The Incredibles. I think this came out in the 80s. I'll add another last clue, and if it won't help you, then... Nothing will. Yeah, nothing will. <laughs> um, flying bicycles. No, okay, no so idea. Then you, have, then you haven't watched E.T. E.T. 
E.T. No, I haven't watched E.T. I haven't watched it either. Uh, Barrio, have you watched it? Yeah. Any good? I'm uh, not sure it holds up. This is another composition by John Williams. I, I think you're right. It did play during the bicycle scene. Uh, the next one, I think, should be a bit easier. Uh, music clip number three. Oh, I think I know this one. This one has lyrics, but I cut out the, the chorus because they say the name of the movie. Yeah, I, I definitely know this. Barry, do you have a hunch? Hmm. I'm not sure. This movie has a bunch of other songs that you would have easily recognized, so I chose this one. This one opens the movie, but it's not the most famous song from the movie. Hmm. Is it an animated or a live action? It's not animated. came out, I think, in the 70s. Hmm. I remember watching this, and I love this. This was actually, like, so many songs have stuck in my head, and, like, I had such a great time with it. Because, like, when I was young, obviously liking, like, Michael Jackson and, like, very performative sort of music, I just thought, this is fantastic. It was so well done. What does it feel like, Mario? What does it feel like in your heart? I don't know. Oh, oh, uh, um, well... Like, I'm, I'm reverse engineering according to what I know about you. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't know. But okay. I know things that you like. Yeah. So, is it a musical? Indeed. Does it have John Travolta in it? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's obviously Hairspray. No, I'm joking. It's Grease. Peter, is this what you were going for? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. This is a fantastic film. Like, I know I said I didn't like uh, musicals, but, like, I totally have skipped over this. That's a great film. I, I'm, I'm going to watch that again now. I really like that film. I really like the music. But I have to say, I, I, I don't think that Grease 2 is any better. But I've listened to Grease 2's soundtrack so many more times than Grease 1 for some reason. I just love it. Hmm. I didn't even know <laughs> there was a Grease 2. Yeah. What is it about? The same high school, maybe? And it's kind of the same story. But instead of cars, there's motorcycles. And... I think that the girl is the kind of bad jockey one and the guy's the geeky one. The, the roles are flipped. Mm. Come on, where's Grace 3? <laughs> <laughs> This time it's personal. <laughs> This time it's personal. <laughs> are you guys ready for clip number four? Yeah, absolutely. This one on a scale from one to ten is somewhere around zero. Hmm. Okay, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Now, I know for a fact that Peter haven't watched this movie. Oh. Yeah, I feel... Um, I feel like it might be... So much energy in this piece of music. It's amazing. Hmm. I didn't clip out the, the most familiar bit of this piece, so... I'm, I'm 80% sure I got it. Do you want to take a guess? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a guess of um, Lord of the Rings. No. No. Damn. What are you seeing, Peter? What, what does it remind you of? Mm, it definitely feels pretty grand. Honestly, I know Braveheart probably didn't have a, a very big musical thing, but I would go with something like Braveheart, you know, like a big army or something. Think uh, water and ships. Oh, I thought it was much more chaotic if we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Pirates of the Caribbean. The first one. But I also, I think it's like the main theme. So maybe they're, they're playing yeah, this one. Yeah, it's the main theme. 
Yeah. That's interesting because I've heard that theme. Yeah. Like I said, it's I didn't clip out the most recognizable part of this clip. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Yeah, I tr- I thought maybe, maybe I could get Barrio to not recognize this, but there was obviously mm-hmm. no chance for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mm. I know that theme by heart. This track is called He's a Pirate by Klaus Be- Bedelt. Bedelt? I don't know, some German name. And Hans Zimmer. <gasps> yeah. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Like as out of Hans Zimmer's kind of stuff, I remember this like Pirates of the Caribbean was like one of the more chaotic mm. sort of pieces. So seeing this didn't really bring that up, but yeah, no, that makes sense now. Does this at all make you want to watch the movie? Um, I I think it's a, a very fun like a piece of music. It's it's energetic. It's fun. It's grand. It's adventurous. It's great. Yeah, it does a little bit actually, but. There's something about pirates that doesn't get me. You know, like pirates and zombies are just like two categories that just turn me off films. Wow. Hmm. Okay, let's go into the fifth one. Now, this clip of music, I clipped out two bits. The first one, like, isn't the most recognizable part of the song, of the track, but I think you maybe still can get it. And if you if you don't, I'll play the second uh, the second bit. Ready for this? Yep. I know what it is. <laughs> I've definitely heard it. Ta-da! <laughs> All right, so Barra sounds oh, confident. I hate this. Yeah. Because I definitely have heard it. Hmm. Peter, I think you can get it. Can you give me can you give me it one more time? Yeah, Bar is doing it. Get choked there. <laughs> Feels like the start of game day. They're looking at the pitch or something. It's not a sports movie, but it's a good description. Yeah. Or they, or they fling the um, the tarp off a new ship or something, or like an old ship. You're really um, good at this. Like this isn't. Cor- <laughs> like, it's not correct, but what you're describing makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it works with what we're listening to. Do you want to listen to the more recognizable part of this theme? Yeah, I'd like to see if I can get it from that. Okay, but Barrio, you have to sing along. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> is, it, is it Star Wars? It is not, not Star Wars. Star Wars. It was a bit difficult to hear it the second time, I'll be honest. <laughs> why? Why, Peter? Why, is, why was it hard? <laughs> it is a lot like Star Wars. I did confuse the two a few times in my life. Look, I'll never get it, but... God damn, it's so familiar. Barrio, tell us what this is. Well, imagine again the crack of dawn, but instead of an old ship, imagine an old spaceship where a baby has arrived to Earth. Oh, is it Superman? It is Superman. Ding, ding, ding. Barrio, you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> what, what Superman is it? The earlier ones from the 70s or 80s or... Uh... With Christopher oh, Reeve. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is the Superman theme 
by drumroll John Williams. He's a <laughs> recurring theme. It's a fairly simple tune, but it's very effective, I think. It, it's, it, it's strong. It's amazing. It's Superman. Are you guys ready for the next one? Yeah, but it's Star Wars. You're wrong. Ah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> keep doing that, though. Uh, <laughs> I think this one is a bit harder. What do you guys think? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I got it. I, I, I didn't recognize it at first, but that bagpipe did a theme that I recognized. Oh, really? Na, 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 na. Is it Lord of the Rings? It is not. Ah, I'm kind of disappointed. Dang. It doesn't ring as many bells this time, but it feels like something you'd play at the end of a movie, or like towards the end. Maybe it is Braveheart. It is Braveheart. Oh. Is it after the battle? I have no idea. Haven't watched Braveheart, or maybe I have, I don't remember. But yeah, me I don't know where, where this music is playing in the, in the movie. But when I heard it, it was like, yeah, this is Braveheart. This is like recognizably Braveheart. And the bagpipes help, obviously. And I, I think in the second Lord of the Rings movie, in the, the Two Towers, there is a bit in Rohan where they're playing with some bagpipes. Maybe that was what you were thinking yeah. about. But this is the main theme from Braveheart by James Horner. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, and Barry, if you want to take a guess before I start. Star Wars. <laughs> I can imagine the two suns rising. Rising? At, oh. the, at the horizon of Tatooine. Maybe the best piece of music from Star Wars, I think. But uh, lesser known. Because, like, usually when you think about Star Wars, it's like... Or the, or the Empire's, uh, you know... Yeah, you're right. Those are the two most well-known ones. But I think that when they announced the, the newer trilogy, the, the three last movies that came out, the first time I saw the, the, the promo for the episode seven, they used this bit of music, uh, I think... So it is definitely recognizable. So yeah, you guys nailed it. The scene, the movie, everything. Do you want to tell me who wrote this bit of music? That's right. John Williams. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two more. Let's see. This one should be wildly easy, I think. Yeah. Like, I've never watched those movies, but it's so iconic that I just can't miss it. I think. Oh, now I'm, I'm starting to, to be doubtful. Maybe I'm wrong. You might be wrong. You said movies? No, I'm just kidding. You might mean category, but um, <laughs> I don't... It sounds a bit familiar, but I don't recognize the actor it's from, but 
<sighs> Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, that's that's the vibe here, you know. Definitely not Wolf of Wall Street. And I'll give you one quick hint. This is one I got from going over the IMDb top 100 uh, list. Yeah. I have a guess. I'm, I'm not sure because I kind of got myself a bit uh, doubtful, mm. but, I, but, but I have a guess. But well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but, but there are a couple of movies. Yeah, no, I was just kidding there. Ah, I, I okay, tried to throw okay. you off. Uh, yeah, it, it worked. It worked, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Peter, imagine, yeah. imagine, imagine a horse. No, imagine just the head of the horse in a bed. Bojack Horseman. <laughs> ding, ding, no. That's, a, that's actually a great guess, according to the hint. Uh. <laughs> um, look, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm so bad at this Show game. me the Godfather. Ding, 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 ding. Godfather. Hmm. Perfect. I don't know. Again, this is a trilogy. I don't know if this uh, bit of music is in the, the second and third movies. Not you know sure. what I did think about when I was thinking about the... Um, this piece was it felt like very silhouette like a like almost like you had to be shooting a silhouette to be playing it mm. almost by law and i do know that godfather a lot of like the movie posters had like a silhouette kind of vibe to it so it works i don't know i watched this movie i watched a godfather a few a few years ago i don't remember a lot from the movie but i remember really enjoying this and it's based on a book which is supposed to be really great so i, I plan to read it one day now one last piece of music to close this segment. And this one is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, like, I love this soundtrack. And I would have recognized this bit of music by the first note. But I, I don't know if it's very recognizable. Let, let, let's see. Here it is. Oh man, where is it from? I love this song. Ah. Just can't remember where it's from. I often play this uh, soundtrack when I have guests over. I like this soundtrack goes in every situation. It's perfect when you're driving with people who like you don't know what music they're listening to. You just put this soundtrack on and everyone's happy. When I drive people and I don't know what um what stuff they listen to, they they listen to what I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> they listen to 1977 Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Da-da. Well, I can tell you it's not Shrek. It isn't Shrek. Yeah. Another personal favorite of mine. Sounds like a montage <laughs> or something, getting ready for like a heist. So. Peter, you're good at this. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I'm definitely like downloading it now. Any guesses? Do you guys want to name any movies? Do you want to throw is it, is it, a is style? Is it a famous movie? I, I would say so. It's a mainstream movie, right? It's not like Seven Street I Samurai. would say so. No, I would say it's a mainstream uh, movie. Do you guys want to guess like uh, a, a year it came out or a style or actors? Well, obviously, or obviously it's from the eighties, right? It, it really isn't. Really? Huh. I would have guessed nineties, but it's from the early two thousands. <gasps> it's not hmm. Austin Powers. No. Is it about like kind of something with the law and crime? Like you got like good guys and bad guys, or a yeah. good guy and a bad guy? 
Yeah, and also Peter mentioned a heist. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <gasps> guess. Ocean, yeah. Ocean, uh, Ocean Eleven. That's what yeah. I'm gonna guess. No, it's actually Ocean, Ocean 12. Twelve. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I love those three movies. All three soundtracks are amazing, I think. But Ocean's Twelve by David Holmes. Uh, he wrote the soundtrack for all three movies, I think. But Ocean's Twelve, the soundtrack is the best out of the three. I think I stumped you. I think like you guys made it with the hints, but I don't think I don't think you guys got it. I, I don't. I'm not giving you a point for this one. Oh man! I think you got all the other ones. Not bad, Peter. You're uh, disappointed with yourself. I'm a little bit disappointed, <laughs> but also because I did say it was a heist. I'm kind of happy with that. So no, yeah, you got yeah. it. You got. You described a lot of those, and you were fairly close with a lot of those. Or like, if you weren't close, you described something that would. Definitely work with that type of music. So you've got the feel for it. Yeah, I think you got you got the MVP for this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rebel Without a Cause is a 1955 film directed by Nicholas Ray, starring James Dean, Natalie Wood, and Sal Mineo. 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 I don't know. Um, I wanted to watch this movie for a while for two reasons. Uh, the first one is that I knew that Fry, the main character from Futurama, was designed based on Jim Stark, played oh. by James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, now when I'm looking at Fry, I can't not think of James Dean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a funny, geeky James Dean. And also because Rebel was mentioned and referenced a few times in La La Land, a movie that I love. They're talking about the movie, they go and watch that movie in, the, in La La Land, and they also go and visit uh, that Griffith uh, Observatory where a lot of uh, Rebel Without a Cause took place. Also, we, we watched an old movie or two uh, during the, the making of this podcast, uh, during this journey of ours. And some of those I didn't expect to enjoy, but I totally did. So I felt like going even further back. I mentioned this before. This is probably the oldest topic we've done uh, on this podcast. And the movie, the story of the movie is basically a, a coming-of-age story following three teenage characters with Jim uh, as the main character. And... Jim is introduced as a, this troubled teenager. We first see him like roaming the streets at night, drunk and, and being taken in by the police. We learn that his kind of troubledness is rooted in his home life. Like it seems that like he grew up with a gap between him and his parents and he's been misguided throughout his life. Like his parents keep contradicting each other and their roles are kind of flipped, which causes a bunch of confusion. And while they try to be caring and, and, and loving and buying him everything he wants... They're not there when, when he needs them, you know, like whenever he gets in trouble, instead of facing those troubles, they, they move to a new town and try to start fresh. Um, the other two main characters, Judy and John, a.k.a. Plato, uh, they also have their, like, troubles at home. Judy's only getting negative attention from her parents, or more specifically her father, and John, they mostly call him Plato, so I'll call him Plato, He's basically raised by the maid, like his father basically abandoned him years ago, and his mother isn't around. I, I think she's, even if she's around, she's not paying him any attention, uh, from what we hear. And the three of them, they're like growing up without any proper guidance, they're, they, they're lonely, they're confused about how the world works and where they fit in. And kind of following the death of a fellow teenager, they're faced with a tragedy they don't know how to deal with. They basically find solace in each other. Like, they're not getting the support they're looking for at home, 
So they're trying to be there for each other. And while Jim is shown at first to be this bad boy who gets into trouble constantly and basically is a burden on his parents, I think that throughout the movie we'll learn that he's actually a gentle kid with a good heart, but he's just misguided, like he's left to grow up on his own. And I think that when it came out, the movie spoke to a lot of young people at the time, um, I think. And, like, my most burning question about this movie is, basically, is it still relevant today? Is, is the movie pointed at a specific generation, or is it an ageless story? And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, but let's start with our, like, general thoughts about the movie. What do you guys think of the movie? I enjoyed it, actually. I mean, I think I enjoyed more the first half of it, especially because, like, I'm trying to put it into words. Um, it, it felt like... It was made by aliens because, like, nothing there made sense. Like, the, the dialogues just sounded weird. The acting and how the characters treated each other was just weird. <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, one of the parts that, that really got me on the floor was after the first scene in the police station where uh, they go back home and Jim meets Judy. And, like, he's trying to talk with her and she's in, like, this crisis and she, she just keeps responding with these really out-of-nowhere questions, like, do you live here? And she's asking, what is living? Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they're all kind of like 16, but they're definitely not. <laughs> like, they, don't, they look so far from being 16. They, they, James Dean, it looks like between him and, and whoever plays his character, they got like 10 years or something. 10, I think it was like years. 24 when they shot it. I, I think Natalie Wood was 17, so she's passable. I don't know how. Natalie Wood, who plays uh, Judy, Judy, was yeah. 17. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. she doesn't look like 17. Uh, no, I thought she, she, was, she looked uh, like a teenager. And Sal Minio, the, the guy who plays Plato, I don't know how old he was, but he was passable. He looked actually young. Yeah. But James Dean, yeah. I couldn't. I wasn't even sure he was supposed to be a high schooler at first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you think like Hollywood has definitely changed since then where like back in the fifties, it would actually be hard to get people committed to um, filming like a two hour movie at the age of 16 and to get the professionalism up. But now the TV show like Modern Family with like 12 year olds, 15 year olds, <laughs> yeah. and even younger who are like professional actors and stuff. It's like, the culture's changed now where, like, if you want to do, like, a high school musical, you can get high school people to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, but back then, it's like, oh, we need some 16-year-olds. Well, we'll just hire the youngest-looking 24-year-old we have, <laughs> you know? Like, it, there's nothing you could do. And I think that's what dates it probably the most. Yeah, like, maybe. Because now, you wouldn't get away with that now. But back in the 50s, probably 60s and 70s as well, you could just say, like, oh... You know, just pretend he's a bit younger. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But you can't do that now. I kept getting surprised by the movie. And I, I actually enjoyed it. Because I, I, at the beginning, I thought it was kind of this kind of classical movie that, that has a very uh, similar rhythm to what you would expect. Like, I, I, I started with assuming that this is kind of like the template that later movie relied upon. So I, I expected things to move at a certain pace. And it wasn't. It was just all around. There's the part where they suddenly do the knife fight, which which was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, 
they're trying to cut each other, but they're not really trying to cut each other. And at the end, they're saying, oh, well, let's go uh, play this uh, chicken run uh, near a cliff. <laughs> they're saying, well, this is pretty dangerous. And it was like, you just fought with knives. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you afraid of exactly? <laughs> and then when they did the, uh, the chicken run, it ended completely differently <laughs> of how I thought it will happen. <laughs> he died. <laughs> yeah. That that character yeah. died, Buzz. and and which we actually started to like him. And I thought they're going that him and Buzz are going to be friends. <laughs> yeah, we find out that they're doing all of this kind of dangerous, stupid stuff out of boredom, which I can relate to. And then he dies. <laughs> um, I really loved it actually. Any any movie that sort of um relies a lot on the honor based morality, you know, virtue ethics kind of stuff, like really. I don't know, like, there's something about it that I just can't get enough of, and um, this movie is, like, does it really well, actually. Like, you kind of, um, you feel like Buzz is the bad guy, and, like, he's not necessarily a good guy or anything like that, but I thought he's just a terrible person and stuff like that at the start, but then you realize that he's testing this new guy because he respects, or at least there's something worth respecting in Jim, you know what I mean? And mm. it's like testing is what he's made of. And then after the knife fight, I guess you could call it, they share a cigarette and it's kind of like, you know, now you've passed your, I don't know what they call it, hazing, I guess you could call it. Mm. Like now I respect you, you know what I mean? Like they, even though like they are against each other, like there's still like respect between the characters which is interesting to me. I, they're both actually very similar because, well, similar in a sense where Jim wouldn't pick up the knife because he he doesn't want to use anything. Like he, it's like he's he's like I'm going to fight with my bare fists and like you know if you give me the knife I'm not going to use it. And it's a very sort of like principled based decision. And it's interesting that Buzz also had the same kind of way of thinking because he wouldn't fight him if he didn't have a knife mm. you know what i mean like they're, they're coming from two different perspectives but they're both not willing to compromise you know they didn't go like oh well you don't have a knife too bad and then they start like cutting yeah. each other i appreciated the depth in the well it wasn't too much depth but it's like I, I appreciated the angle they went with from that and you get more of that with jim as well like um when he wants to tell the truth to the police he says like you know you don't get to turn it off when you want like that's not that's not what how you build a character if it's actually in your character you would do it you don't just like turn this stuff off and on and i i don't know it's a very interesting film to me i thought i i really liked it actually i kind of feel like i've been comparing it to some of the other films we we've done and i, I do feel like the good the bad and the ugly is is maybe like a better film like it's made better but like this one connected more personally mm, to me. I, I felt like I got more out of this one. And the acting is is fantastic, in my opinion, for the time. Obviously, um, we've, we've got better than that. I always felt like um, James Dean, he was a very James Franco type actor. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, very, very charismatic, but he knows he's charismatic and he likes to explore that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he doesn't feel like he needs to always like express himself too much because he knows like him just being in the scene is, is enough. I think James Franco did a, an impersonation of him of, a, a few years ago in like this sketch. No, not just that. But um, there's a movie in 2001 called James Dean and it's about his, his life. And James Franco is 
plays James Dean. It's like a two-hour two-hour drama. Oh, that's, so that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was amazed. Like, it's, I was like, wow, this guy's so so like um, James Franco. I wonder if you know they've ever been like linked in some way because obviously James would have died before. Um, James <laughs> was born, but, um, the other actors were good as well. I know, um, the person who plays Plato, I think he won like a best supporting actor or something I for I think it. both him and Natalie Wood were nominated for supporting actors for that, for those roles. Okay. And I, I don't know if Natalie Wood, to be honest, I don't think she stood out in this movie to me. Like she was a good character, but like, I would definitely put Plato above her in terms of like acting, but. I didn't, I didn't like his character. So you kind of got to separate liking the character to liking the actor. But, uh, and sometimes that's actually more difficult than you think. But like originally I didn't think it was good acting. I thought it was like, I thought he was trying to be like the trusty sidekick. Like, I don't know this guy, like, but I'm going to stick with him. And like, if you can't stand up for yourself, try to be friends with someone that can for you. Uh, And I thought that was the sole purpose. But then he said like, oh, you know, I've been friends with him for a while. He likes to be called Jamie and stuff. And I was like, okay, maybe he's just a bit insecure because he's coming off as a little bit creepy-ish. You know what I mean? Mm. Like a bit, I don't know, trying to be a bit too close, but I didn't think they were going to go down that path. You know what I mean? So I thought maybe that's just a quirk of the actor to be a little bit creepy. But, (laughs) um, but, then later he does like that, that whole part of his persona just blows wide open. And that's the second half of the movie. Yeah. So that nugget of acting that I saw was great. I, I originally thought it was bad acting, but it was actually fantastic acting. So definitely think he did a fantastic job. And um, he, he was very repulsive kind of character. Like he, you feel like you couldn't get rid of him, you know, like, mm. Oh, I'm going to, you know, go on holiday, you feel like you'd make it on the plane somehow, you know? So, <laughs> but yeah, that's long-winded thoughts, but I, I, I really liked it. I thought it was fantastic. I, I kind of disagree with you about the acting. Like I liked Salminio and I liked James Dean, but I thought Natalie Wood like really stood out. It's interesting mm. that we kind of feel differently about that because we usually kind of are on the same line, on the same kind of wavelength. I thought she was amazing. That's good. I mean, like, because she got a nomination. So um, as long as some other people thought she was fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't good. take my eyes off of her. I thought she was mesmerizing. I thought, like, I wanted to see every movement she made, every expression on her face. Uh, I didn't want to miss anything. And I'll, I'll say I really liked the movie. I had a lot of fun kind of thinking about it in the last few days. But I have to say that I felt that the fact that the movie is like, I don't know, seven years old now, <laughs> made me feel a bit distant from it. You know, like Barrio mentioned it, it, it kind of feels like Aliens made the movie. It does feel like they tried to make something new and they didn't have a template, so they just tried whatever they could come up with. And the dialogues did feel a bit weird. The reactions to situations did feel a bit weird. It felt like a foreign movie a bit, like I kept kind of distracting myself. I kept thinking about how old and how weird and how different it feels. But after I watched it, I gave it some time to sink in. I thought about it for a couple of days. I watched a few scenes again. And I think it's really interesting. I think that the story is relatable. We've all been confused teenagers and the three main characters portray those feelings pretty well, I thought. 
And I loved the scene in the second half of the movie where they're like playing in that abandoned mansion. Mm-hmm. Like they get to have a few moments of happiness and, and freedom. I really, really enjoyed that part. And while I was kind of distracted by the movie's age, I eventually came to think that this movie or at least the story are, I think, relevant today. I think they're kind of ageless. I'm, I'm still thinking about the movie. You know, especially kind of about the ending, because I don't know about how Plato lost it and ran away with the gun and all. I'm still trying to think what it all meant, kind of. But all in all, I I think I can kind of maybe understand why it became an iconic movie or a classic movie. I really wish I could have seen this movie as a young adult in the 50s when it came out. Like, I can't even imagine what it was like. I kind of like this movie. Maybe not as much as you guys did, but I had a lot of fun with this. Just two things. Um, I think... Uh, they would have shot the audio after, right? Or they would have recorded the audio after. That so makes I think sense. they were, well, they were probably saying the lines and then they were recording the audio in the studio because I think like just microphones were just terrible. So they had to do it like that, which is the same thing we had with the Bruce Lee. Exactly. Um, with the Enter the Dragon. So I think that's sometimes why it felt a bit off. But knowing that going in or like very early on, I kind of ignored that a little bit. And the other thing is, I think, I don't want to go on about it too much, but with these like honor based movies where like the main character is like, doesn't compromise <laughs> if we're going back to um, the Watchmen, <laughs> I kind of feel like the people who think or are like, inclined to think that way, like, I feel like there's a lot, there's a big portion of people that just love those movies and it's just one of those one of those things that will get a few people in the door to make them really like it. And also it is a like most movies don't have these themes, so I think like a lot of people when they see it, they're like, finally, you know, a movie for me. And like it's a little bit like, you know, not like the other girls kind of thing, like where like everyone thinks they're like the only person that thinks like this, but really like everyone kind of has these mm. principles in some in some respect. But when a movie comes out, everyone's like, oh, yes, this is my anthem. You know what I mean? And I feel like that might be one of the reasons why these movies and this movie in particular is like a bit of a, not a cult classic, but just like a very popular movie. Because I think there's like a, there's a segment of society that like really latch onto this kind of, these ideas. I don't know if it's a cult classic. I don't know if it's a classic movie, but it's kind of a, a milestone in the history of cinema, I would say. At first, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I felt like I didn't have the tools to understand this movie. You know, like I kind of mentioned it before. This movie came out 66 years ago and things both in cinema and in society were different then. And like when we watched The Good, The Bad and The Ugly from 1966, we, we mentioned the idea that back then Westerns, especially American ones, portrayed characters that were either good or bad, either heroic or villainous. And then, you know, Blondie's character was somewhere in the middle and was kind of an anti-hero, which maybe wasn't as well known at the time. And from what I can tell, when Rebel Without a Cause came out, men were manly in movies and, and they were leaders. And women in movies were quiet and obedient and teenagers were shallow characters. And in this movie, the the, the Stark family kind of breaks these rules. Like, the teenager, Jim, is is deep and sensitive, and the father figure is weak, and the mother figure is very dominant and, and domineering. And I, I don't know if this was the first movie to do that, 
really. Like, I've read that it was important for that, amongst other things that it did. But maybe it wasn't the, the first, like, officially the first. But l- let me ask you, if if it was a, the first movie to kind of stretch the limits by showing characters that are way different than what people were used to in those regards, do you think that we, like, current-time viewers could ever appreciate that? Like, from today, like, 60 years in the future? It's definitely more difficult. But I, th- I feel like we can. I, th- I don't think it's out of out of reach mm. to appreciate it. But I think it would require, unfortunately, it would require watching a lot of movies in the 50s that weren't this good. Because yeah. a lot of the time when people were like, man, remember the 70s when every music album that came out was just a banger? <sighs> and it's like, no, because it's like a filter. You exactly. know, like we only get. All the bangers now. Yeah, no one's listening you know? to stuff that were mediocre from back then. <laughs> yeah. On, only the good stuff survived. <laughs> Occasionally we get like a rose-colored lens over older things where we thought everything coming out was a gold mine, But really, there was just as many misses as hits, but all the misses haven't really made made their way to us yet or will never make their way to us because no one's really dredging them up again, you know? Maybe today on Spotify you can find some of those that stuff. But, like, when we were growing up and mm. the only thing we had to get music was, like, torrents and, and illegal downloads, no one mm. was uploading the movies that get, like, 5.5 on IMDb. Yeah. Only uploading the good stuff. Yeah, so um, definitely we do get sort of, like, a more positive view the further we look back, you know? That, that's the case with movies, that's the case with music. It'll be the case with pretty much everything. So, mm. But I think there is a way to look back. And I think the way to do it is essentially you have to have like a, you have to have a view of like what it was like before and what it was like after. So you need to, you need to kind of track the influences. Like I haven't got much experience with it, but I do know like Beatles, like pre-Beatles and post-Beatles, like the music did sound quite different after. Like yeah. Not in the month after, not in the year after, but like in the decades after the Beatles and the decades before the Beatles. Definitely, yeah. That was a like a turning point and um, you can kind of trace it back to that band and a few other bands at the time. And with this, I, I don't know if it's this it's Beatles level kind of um, manipulation of the market, but it, <laughs> I think you can definitely see see the influence of like this film on like later films. Like I I feel like um, this sort of misunderstood rebel or misunderstood person is like something that we still get quite a bit, which I'm not sure if that was explored too much before this. Like one of the films that kind of reminds me of as well is, is drive with um, Ryan Gosling, like someone who's very silent and kind of, he acts through his actions, you know, like, um, what he does is definitely more important than what he says. But when he does say things like it obviously means, what was the word they use in the movie? It's very, um, very honest. Mm. Can't remember what the word was, but yeah, it's, um, you can see the influence in a few movies where you get that, like the hero of the movie that, um, so they're like low on output, but very high on principle. I think that's something that I, that I would trace to this movie. I, I can agree. I think, like, maybe if we went back and watched, like, key films from, from those years or even movies that came out a bit earlier, kind of studying the spirit of the time and then watching, like, Rebel Without a Cause with that kind of context, maybe maybe we can see how it fit in those years. I, I don't know. I'm really interested by that, but I don't know if we'll 
ever actually do it. But uh, honestly, I think that like the story of growing up in less than optimal conditions, you know, trying to find your place in the world and being a lonely teenager, like these themes are as relevant today as they were then, I think. Like these are themes that maybe every generation could relate to. I think that Jim's father at some point in the movie kind of mentions that he used to be the same kind of teenager when Jim when he was Jim's age. I'm trying to think whether or not this movie would have like hit me harder if I didn't see it at 32. Like I'm maybe in a point in my life in which I'm starting to forget what it was like being a teenager, maybe, I don't know. And I'm wondering if, if I would have connected with it more if I was still in that age, in that kind of emotional growing up stage of my life. I don't know. I think def- this definitely connects better with younger audiences. One of the reasons potentially is, or one of the things I noticed was um, they were they were on the stairs and, and Jim was talking to his father. Uh, his father was saying like, you know, when you're older, you understand. I think the, the, the posturing of that was really like, look, this is a big risk to take now, like going to the police, right? But I have the wisdom to know that that would have screwed up my life and now I can be the one on the stairs teaching my son not to do it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be in the position I am now if I did that kind of thing. You know mm. what I mean? So I can understand it from the father's perspective. Like I'm living proof that like, don't take a risk, you know? Yeah. And, or uh, maybe he's not going that far, but maybe he's just saying like, look, I've, I've been around the block a few times and I know that like, if you keep getting cuts, eventually like, you know, you'll just, I don't know really where I'm going with that analogy, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like things like you think it's just like something like you think it's a Nick now, but that'll be on your body for your whole life. You know what I mean? Like some, some things are permanent, you know, people shouldn't rush out and get tattoos because they don't come off very easily. Yeah. You know? And I think it was one of those things, but I think, um, the retort was like, that's not how I want to learn. Like I, I understand it's a learning process and I understand that you've been through that, but I'm still like an agent and I still make decisions. So, so he's kind of going one step further where like the father is saying, I have the experience and I can tell you out of my experience. And then the son is saying, well, I have a father that's had that experience and he's telling me this yet I still don't want to follow his advice. So Mm. it's like, he's kind of going over the top and saying, well, I'm not coming from a place of more ignorance. I'm, I'm, I'm going in fully aware that it might not be the right decision, but I still want to make the error if it is. And I think there's another bit, which is that's not how I want to live my life is it's a very, like a, a character based assessment of the situation. You know, it's not like, it's not where do you want to be in 50 years? It's the, what type of person do you want to be yeah. now? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I th- I think like a lot of young people will ha- often have that leveled at them. So they'll say, you know, like if you if you put away $50 a week or something like that, then you'll have like $10,000 at the end of the year or I don't know how much it is. But, you know, like, uh, well, I guess that's a bad one because that's actually pretty good advice, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or just like, oh, don't get married too young or like, because, you know, you don't know if you'll like them, um, in, in future years, like kids and all this stuff. But it's like, if you like someone, you want to be the type of person that will go ahead and like, just the idea that you'd think about finances or, or kids or something like that, like 
I don't want to be the type of person that thinks about that kind of stuff. You know mm. what I mean? Even though it is the right, from that perspective, it's the right decision. I don't want to be a person that's like always thinking about that. So I, I don't know. It's like an interesting take. And I think like there's something about being a kid that's very common with, and it's something about being an adult. I don't know if they lose it or if they gain something else, but like you don't see like many adults like going around saying, yeah, I hope my son like really makes mistakes and like sometimes <laughs> they'll be permanent and that's fine. Like, you know what I mean? That's what growing up is. That's how I grew up. It's more like when people grow up and make mistakes and they're in a position after those mistakes to say that was a mistake. For some reason, they don't want their kids to make those mistakes and learn from them. They kind of say, well, I've learned them for him. Yeah. And it's a very altruistic way to do it. You know, you've been through hell, so you can tell them not to go there. But did you listen to your parents when they did the same thing? And he's not going to listen to you and his kids aren't going to listen to him. You know, it's it's the same thing generation after generation. Kind of reminds me of the song Teach Your Children by uh, <laughs> yeah. Crosby, Stills, yeah. Nash and Young. It's almost like, because obviously a lot, a lot <laughs> this is a... This is a bit of a detour, but um, <laughs> like one of the things that separates humans from sort of other animals is that humans can like look at someone like another human, put their hand in the fire, burn themselves and know not to do it, right? But a lot of other animals don't have that same ability. You know, they have to, they have to like experience it themselves and then they know not to do it. Like they can't learn from secondhand experience. They have to learn firsthand experience. Mm. And I feel like that's one of the greatest things, obviously, that we have as a species. But in some situations, we almost try it too much. You know, like, for instance, like sometimes you'll have a, like a webinar or something on like a very complex topic about like, you know, some legal issue or something like that. And this person that's presenting the topic is a master and he's been through it all. And, but he's made a lot of mistakes in his career and through those mistakes, now he knows the errors not to make because they're ingrained. Like he'll never make the same error again. And then he's telling you, um, he's saying like, look, I've been through it all level headedly. Like I can tell you like, don't make this mistake and you know, you'll be better off for it. And as humans, like we kind of, we rely on this, like we, we think secondhand knowledge is almost as good as firsthand knowledge. But the truth is the people hearing that, they don't have the same emotional pathways connected to the memory of making that mistake. So when they hear it, they don't believe it as much, even though this person's saying- yeah, they get the logic, but they, they haven't been burned. It's they haven't been burned, them. yeah. And I feel like we try to say that secondhand knowledge is as good as firsthand like obviously it's not as good but we try to say it's almost as good but th it might be evidence that every generation that goes past needs to make their own mistakes that potentially it's it's really there is a big gap between yeah. secondhand and firsthand knowledge yeah you you said you enjoyed the movie barrio i wasn't sure if you meant that you enjoyed the movie because it was funny and weird and and interesting uh, as a kind of a spectator or did you connect with the story at all did you connect with the characters at all did you see yourself in it at all well first of all i uh you were jim's mom <laughs> yeah i just <laughs> i just saw the entire movie through her her eyes um well it, it was very amusing because it it felt a bit absurd in in today's standards i don't know like 
things that that are were just weird that didn't really age up well like peter said the the creepiness of plato at first i i was beginning to think well plato is definitely in love with jim <laughs> i thought that as well <laughs> yeah because it felt it felt very sexual it did you, but you it keep really saying did. to yourself this is a 50s movie right like they won't do something like that Maybe and then, because it was from the 50s it had to be really subtle Like, maybe, yeah. maybe that was the case. I'm still not even sure if that was officially part of the movie. Like, it sounds <laughs> weird to say officially <laughs> part of the movie because it's like, you take what you want, but <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think that in the 50s standard, there were a lot of naive things. Like, uh, you know, the love that Plato feels to, to Jim is definitely not sexual. He just admires him. And... You know, the very... For- I don't know if we can say definitely. Yeah. Not definitely. <laughs> we'll yeah. say most likely. I think, I think that that's what they meant. But, you know, you can never know. <laughs> but, you know, another, another scene that was kind of, I don't know, a bit unsettling is that Judy kept wanting to kiss her father. That certainly aged well slash poorly in, like, 2020. Because, like, now <laughs> we're like, oh, that's a bit... I don't know. Like, we've had too many cases of that. And, like... Like now, looking back on that, I'm just like, "Yeah, don't push the issue. This is I don't know, yeah, like yeah, I kind of <laughs> but back then, maybe it was different. I don't know that's it, that's, that's my point. That's my point. It was like it was very, very naive because that movie is not sexual, but in today's eyes, where everything is sexual, then a lot of the scenes didn't age really well. Um, I don't and, know if I agree with once you. I realized that, and I tried to. To start thinking well what does this movie try to say I suddenly understand something that's maybe a bit deeper definitely the whole movie is about relationship with your parents with your fathers specifically and as you said you know like uh, the process of uh, growing up and, and becoming your own man so we got like Jim who is in a, an inner conflict about becoming a man and he wants his father's support but his father is a Kind of like the most unmanly thing that he can imagine, yeah, spineless kind of guy, you know that part where his mother is out and he accidentally spilled something on the floor, and he actually puts like that very feminine apron and and tries to to pick everything up before uh she arrives mm. in order not to make a conflict. Yeah, he's dead scared of her yeah, yeah. and 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 Jim is just torn apart by it. He just got back from a knife fight. <laughs> his father is with an apron, kind of like hiding away. Yeah, he's very disappointed by that. And uh, Judy just wants to get her father affection, but obviously he much prefers her younger brother because I don't know why, because he, he likes him better. And Plato, well, his father is just not there. Now, if you go towards the final scene of the movie, That's where it all comes together, because Jim becomes the man that shows affection to Judy. He comes back after Plato thinks that, that he and Judy disappeared on him. Yeah. So they come back and show him that they're present. Jim kind of acts like the father that Judy wants and the father that Plato wants. And then he also becomes a real man of its own, because he stands up for his... For his friend, and he does something that is very not chicken, you know the the thing that he's afraid from the most, so I thought that that was wrapping it up nicely, like that that final scene is where it all comes together. The three relationships are getting resolved, 
Yeah, they become this little family unit on their yeah, own. Yeah, exactly. And they, they, they talk about it, actually. Yeah, I'm not that smart. I didn't get it on my own. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, and, and I think that when Plato dies and... Well, I, I got to say that I didn't really understand the end. Like, Plato dies just like they didn't know how to wrap it up. So they say, okay, well, Plato died. Jim is kind of broken from it, but he, fi he finally finds a way to, to cope uh, with his father and... Judy is just emotionless as usual. Yeah, the ending was a bit weird because I, I felt about Plato that maybe, you know, he was too lost, like he crossed the line and there was, wasn't a way back for him. So he died. But other than that, it was a good ending. Like Jim got to kind of grow up and find himself and find love. He got the girl and his father kind of found his own spine and became the kind of father Jim wants. Like he tells him, I'll stand up for you. I'll be as strong as you need me to be. And his parents look at each other and smile because their son found love. I don't know. Everybody's going home and everything seems to be okay now. I don't know. Kind of felt like a weird, yeah, happy ending. Yeah, especially because like a kid just died in front of you. And he's like, well, this is Judy. She's yeah. my girlfriend. <laughs> <And> they're <laughs> so weird. Yeah, yeah a bit weird. <laughs> It did feel like they didn't know how to close things. A little bit, a bit. yeah. The biggest cultural gap from now and the 50s that I kind of noticed in this movie was that Judy's parents sleep in different beds. Yeah. Did you guys know this? I, I, actually, I actually read into that, I think. Um, I hope that I don't get it wrong. Apparently, around the 50s, it was too sexual to show two people sleep on the same bed. Wow. That's weird. I thought it was potentially a scam just to sell more beds. <laughs> yeah. More bed frames. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> About the, the kind of acting in the movie, I thought, I have to say that, like, James Dean's acting was, to me at least, always around the point between charismatically captivating, like, really, really good, and just over the top, like, really funny. And, like, there were mo moments where I thought his acting was really convincing, but there were moments where I thought his acting became almost a bit comic and not in a good way. It was just a bit too much. I, I, and also, we mentioned it, I kept forgetting that he was playing a high schooler. I thought he looked a bit too old for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that, that last one is fair. But I think... Uh, I th yeah, actually, no, I don't disagree. I think, I think that's all kind of fair. I think, like, some of the outbursts at the police station um, at the start, I think they were a little bit over the top. But then he does have some great moments of acting. Like, that when he wants... Um, when he wants... Genie, is it Genie? Judy? Judy. This is exactly the same as Watchmen. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't remember the name. Uh, anyway, when he wants to have like some dirt, you know, on it from the ground, like next to the car, like that was great acting, you know, like very charismatic, you know. But yeah, he does have those moments where it does go over the top a little the bit. The scenes where he complains to his parents that they don't understand him, that, that was where... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally agree. That was so weird. What about um, the I've got the bullets... Bit. That a bit I, over the was top. Was that over the top or was that Just great a bit acting? over the top. Tell. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is really nitpicky, but like he's yelling, I've got the bullets and that part's okay. But then he also yells, look, and that was maybe just too much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, I'm complaining. That's the that. saddest bit about the ending to me, that, that 
like he couldn't convey that he had the bullets because he showed the police, you know, but they obviously didn't notice. But that's the saddest bit that it was preventable. Yeah, but, it hit yeah. me hard the second time I watched it. Uh, other than that, I, I loved all like all of the actors. Uh, I, I talked about Natalie Wood. Mm. I thought Salminia was serviceable. I think he did. He, like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say he was great, but I didn't really get his part. I don't know. That's going to be like the worst insult for an actor. Serviceable. Yeah, or... I'm sorry. I didn't mean to see. <laughs> Man, he, he copped a serviceable from then on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, he was pretty good. I, I'm just, I just can't really judge his acting. I don't really get it. I bet we're going to get a one-star review now. <laughs> so yeah, this podcast is serviceable. Serviceable. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a it's such an insult. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, all all the all the technical aspects were good, <laughs> but you know, no feel, no like, no pizzazz. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought everyone was like at, at the very least okay. Maybe the last thing I wanted to ask Barrio from from your kind of experience. I don't know all of the knife fights that you've been in. What what do you think of uh, Jim's and Buzz's kind of knife technique? <laughs> Uh, that was like I, I'm thinking about watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was so blown out. Like I, I don't even know what to make of it. Are there any any other uh, crazy theories about this movie? I don't think there's anything else. Maybe Buzz was a ghost the whole throughout the whole thing. Hmm. I always thought like potentially like a fake death or something like that, but. I don't think there's anything in it. Only Jim could see Buzz, because Buzz was dead all (laughs) along. It was so funny that he died. (laughs) You know what? I have to say, uh, I I thought the scene that Buzz drove, in which Buzz drove off the cliff, and, you know, like, he hit the bottom and the car kind of exploded. I thought it was refreshing (laughs) that the movie didn't have a bunch of crazy effects and explosions and kind of had to rely on the characters' reactions to make that scene feel heavy. Yeah. I don't know. Don't have anything else to say about it. I just thought it was interesting. It, it actually made it a little bit sadder because a big explosion is like, oh wow, like, mm, he's definitely like, dead. It kind of <laughs> it, it like it clouds the sort of like if if the car just goes down like plonk, no sound, just like because it's so far down, it's just like it makes it sadder because it's like that. Yep, that's the end. Like that's <laughs> that's how he died. You know, if it's a big explosion, it's like, oh wow, this will be on the news. But like, if it's like just like a, you know, just a bit of a clunk <laughs> at the bottom, it's like makes it feel so like such a waste. <laughs> you know, like makes it always seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, waste of a life, not yeah. waste of a scene. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> like, to, to summarize my thoughts, I wasn't way into the movie when I first finished watching it. Like, I knew that a lot went over my head, though. I didn't get a chance to dig as deep as I wanted to uh, in, this, in this movie before this episode. But I feel like this movie will kind of stick with me for a while. I... I have to say, I kept kind of asking myself questions about the, the characters, and I kept trying to see how I relate to them, and, and, and I feel like I'm not done with that yet. Um, so all in all, I, I thought it was a really interesting experience. I, I really think that this story is very relatable, even though I feel like I should have watched it in like a different uh, time in my life. I feel like I'm getting maybe a bit too old for this movie, but I don't know, that's maybe just me. And 
you know, you hear the names James Dean or Natalie Wood mentioned here and there, and I'm happy to have a face connected with those names now. And I think, to me, that out of all of the movies we've watched on this podcast, this might be my least favorite one, but we've done some really great movies, so I, I really don't mean to say that I didn't like Rebel Without a Cause. So I've, I do feel like we've said most of most of what we wanted to say, but just to summarize, like I think it's a it's a simple movie with interesting characters and like interesting motivations. I think the motivations are as more interesting than really like the character traits. Like they don't have any like ticks or anything, which is interesting that you might have with some more modern movies. But I think just the motivations of all the characters is really what drives the film. Um, for me, I thought the acting was, was was pretty good for the time, but overall, it's up. It's a movie that I really liked. Just personally, I, I connected with it quite a bit, and obviously, it is a big cultural gap to fill. The ending, obviously, I think was probably the weakest part of this movie, and obviously, Buzz dying like pretty much halfway through, I think, was just probably a surprise to a lot of us. Mm. Like, I think that. We thought he was the big bad at the end, but I I don't mind that change. But I still think the ending was a little bit little bit weak. But overall, like I'm I'm really happy, and like my general opinion is that I I thought it was a great great film. Yeah, I think I'll be thinking about it for a long time. Actually, <laughs> I watched it recently, and I'm already starting to forget it. So I'm I'm I won't be like you, but um, <laughs> That's nice. but I enjoyed it. Like I I think I think you you need to approach it in as as what it is which is an old movie <laughs> from the 50s where things were a bit different and then <laughs> and then you start to see it in in a different light that that's how i approached it and and that's why i think that i was like very um nicely surprised so as we do at the end of each step of our quest we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not rebel without a cause has a place in the culture quest essentials guide aka the quake we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. Um, Peter, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, I was on the fence a little bit for this. And honestly, I didn't really think about it until just before we went to record this episode. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm going with the thing I always refer to in this segment, like the, the be the change you want to see. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip my hat for this one. Cool. Mario? It's a tough call. It's like it's it's hard for me to put it in the quag. Like if comparing it to other stuff that we we put in the quag, it's not it's not there. But it's kind of like a very um, fundamental thing in movie history. Let, let, can I tell you what I think? Yeah. I think that like the quag is kind of a guide for for beginners in this culture world of ours, and maybe this movie is for more advanced adventurers. Yeah, so I will stroke my mustache. I will stroke my mustache as well. I, I totally think it's a it's an interesting experience. I think it's a good good movie, but it's not for everyone. I don't know. Like I used to be the the person to say like try to bring Kant's like universal maxim to the Alqueg. Like, you know, <laughs> if I put this in then think about all the other things I have to put in, cause they're at least as essential. And like, you know, I've been trying to like do the math on like what creates, like what's a fundamental piece, like thinking about all the connections. Trying to come up make. with the perfect formula for the Quig. 
Yeah, I used to do that, and now like I like it. I voted in. Like that's <laughs> my that's I've I've totally shifted it. Like and because like if something seems essential and I don't personally really like it that much, I'm like fuck it. It's that <laughs> quick, <laughs> you know? Like because it's like. There's still Wikipedia. Wikipedia's out there. IMDb is still out there. Like, you know? So now I'm just going to like what I like. And like, I have no regrets. Hey, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I like it. But if you guys have a filter of like fundamental, fundamental kind of movies, then our Quake becomes a Venn diagram of fundamental movies that Peter likes. <laughs> <laughs> So I had noticed that we were getting quite familiar with Rolling Stones' <laughs> top 500 <laughs> albums. This is like a continual source of sort of, of um, content for us. So I was looking through the list and um, Joni Mitchell's was number three, which I think we all kind of agreed that that was probably too high. A bit. Um, in our opinion, yeah. we can name more than three yeah. albums we think are better. <laughs> Uh, but I wanted to go number four. Oh. Um, and number four is an album that I can't, I've heard of it, but I can't say I can really um, put a sound to this album. And it's right in the ballpark of fantastic um, era of music. So it's a 1976 um, release by Stevie Wonder. And oh. it's called Songs in the Key of Life. And honestly, I've really haven't, like neglected Stevie Wonder. I haven't really listened to a lot of his stuff. Um, and it might not be for me. I'm not 100% sure. But this one is a very good one to start with, I think, because it is quite a long one. It, it It's a double album. And I think it's... Almost two hours. Yeah, it's almost two hours. So I think I'll try to listen to it. <laughs> uh, maybe if I can, I'll try to listen to it once all in a row. And then I'll probably pick out some of my favorites and then try to go a bit deeper into them but hopefully there'll be something for everyone in it and um yeah i'm excited to go into it man look at the reviews on on wikipedia man this album is very highly rated look at how many five star reviews it has I had a, a few people recommend this album to me recently. I almost chose it myself. I'm really excited for this. Number four. Cool. We'll see. I feel like because it's recent, I feel like that's, I think we're in the in the ballpark of being a good pick. Because I don't know if we say this very often, but we don't pick things that we know very well. No. Like we try to pick things that are new to us. So. I know there's at least one song on this album that you'll recognize. I think, I think yep. we'll each find something we like in this album. I really, I like, I know a few people who will be happy to know that we're doing this album. Oh, really? That's great. A good friend of mine, she listened to all of our episodes. Like her favorite episode, I'd guess, is the U2 one because she really loved how you didn't like the album, Peter. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, <laughs> she really enjoyed that part. <laughs> she was really excited for the Taylor Swift episode because she was sure you wouldn't like that one as well. <laughs> so she'd be happy to know we're doing this album. Uh, great. Let's not fuck it up. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. So, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. See ya. The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. 
Find out more information about All The People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a, um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double L dot org. So it's, it's a dot org. So it's, it's legit. And, um, basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times. But if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to, um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because, a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah, so definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.